our perspective. Um, that we <laughs> hate the government and <laughs> the law and the rules, but respect the cops. And the <laughs> well, yeah, the, co- the cops and the soldiers rule, uh, but the government sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, which they yeah. see is not a contradiction in any way. Like, no, yeah, no. Because yeah, you know. it it's devoid of politics. It's all like... It's all just surface attitude and, and um, cultural signifiers. Yeah, it's become yeah. culture part of the culture war, it seems like. Well, and the thing is, the success of Reagan and Clinton was to change what the definition of the government was, which the government is housing for black people. The government is public education even for the poor kids, right? Yeah. And so that's the yeah. government, right? Yeah. Now, the cops who beat those people's heads in, I mean, they, they just are cool. Like, you know, like, they, <laughs> yeah. they, 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 they're not part of the government, right? They're just awesome, you yeah. know? Um, you see how we did that, everybody? We've definitely transitioned from talking about stupid television shows into um, talking about... Uh, <laughs> so, interior counterinsurgency <laughs> and imperialism uh we're welcome back this is seattle sucks it's a podcast we're here we record we're on we're on, we're the, on boat. the boat we're on the boat does your boat have a name it's called not it's nyad nyad, nyad it's, okay. it's greek mythological which N-Y-A-D, i'm always surprised right? when people know they're like no it's no, no, no it's n n a i a d you sure you want that information out? And uh, I know that's full security out here. But. It's, yeah, that's true. It turns out the names of boats have no, are not on any records or anything. They're just something painted on the boat. Wait, there's, like, no, there's no official listing. No, location? no, not at all. It has, oh. This has a hull, has a hull number. It has a registration number. That that's the name matters, is just yeah. something you paint on mm-hmm. the boat. Now you have to appease. Poseidon and several and a lot of like sailing superstition if you want to change the name but you don't have to go through the power of the state like right. or use the keys um, the ultimate authority yeah exactly <laughs> exactly yeah. the gods uh so I'm Greg Colin is here too I'm here. and we're here uh with Brian hello who we also know as um, at Abolish Ice on Twitter. That's how we got to know uh, Brian, because he, he's a poster. He posts things, and we, we retweet them. <laughs> that's why I hope, I hope that's on my tombstone. <laughs> he's a poster. Oh, my God. We're not very good posters. Um, no. We're trying to do this whole, like, participate in the world thing. But, it's hard. Um, and we have this podcast, but... We try to also post, but man, I suck at posting. I'm terrible. At we it. there are at least the two of us are posting from the Seattle sucks mm-hmm. at and and that's two people at least. Um and still we barely crank and then my yeah. personal one it's like I can't be bothered, you know. But anyway, so anyway, but we're here. We've got uh Brian yeah. Platt who um is a Seattleite uh, and but also uh, has a piece out in Jacobin that we want to talk about that came out a few weeks ago about cops. <laughs> cool or not? Answer yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean that's you know a subject on everybody's mind um, is whether or not blue lives matter. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah we're gonna finally. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna look at some graphs, some charts. Yeah. And... I use all my physics training. We <laughs> <laughs> collected the data, and uh, we're going to we're gonna we're gonna. What were you reading earlier, Greg? That's uh, we're 
so everyone's talking about the insect extinction, but we're actually living through apparently a Seattle police extinction oh, event oh, as oh, well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. According to Dory, mm-hmm. so uh, before we very go, concerning. Very before concerning. we get into yeah, amphibian. I mean, um, first they came from the amphibians, and I said mm-hmm. nothing. Then they came. So from this the is um. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Said nothing. Jason Rantz quoted this quote <laughs> on on for on Cairo, you know, and then of course it's on my Northwest, and it's um, his headline. No, this is his headline: Seattle Police on the verge of extinction over contract dispute, <laughs> cop says. Mm-hmm. I'm like, mm-hmm. let's keep disputing this motherfucking contract. Yeah, if, yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah, and, anyway. you know, that's like, that, that's a popular narrative too. And uh, it really started getting pushed by uh, Safe Seattle, especially, mm. uh, who, yeah. I don't know, do, do we, do I have to explain who Safe Seattle is. Uh, Just uh, awful people on Facebook. Yeah, Never engage the them people. in any way. The but, people uh, who, like, the people who are ginning people up to murder homeless people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if we could just put them in a, in the ocean, <laughs> just, <laughs> I'm okay with that. If we can but, just um, like, uh, oh, I don't know, use any of the solutions they have yeah, for homelessness. For homelessness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Be- you know, uh, I don't know if you guys have noticed. I mean, you're at sea and everything out here. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Housing costs have been a bit of an issue. They've been rising and things like I've that. I've heard about this. Have you, have you heard <laughs> about this? <laughs> but uh, I live on a sailboat. Uh, we're in a two. <laughs> Well, we're ensconced in 200 square feet of oiled teak. And it's, <laughs> I thought you just really like the sea life. I do. I, I do. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like some mythical creature you cannot get on land, actually. <laughs> yeah. um, but, uh, so anyway, so in a bunch of these older neighborhoods in Seattle, not older, but wealthier neighborhoods in Seattle, you know, Wallingford, Ballard, etc., right? Uh all these people have huge amounts of money tied up into their home values yeah. and naturally have a hatred for the poor because of it. And uh, all, all that money tied up in their home values that ha- that has appeared out of nowhere sure. since 2010. Yeah, thanks Just to... Just that they didn't have... And now they yeah. do. Yeah, thanks to like an enormous influx of like money from Asia for yeah. like rough speculation in the city yeah. and yeah. you know all sorts of other things that are definitely going to last and are very permanent. <laughs> and, um, and that have and that those people deserve. Yes, yeah, 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 that they have worked hard to live in their house mm-hmm. that they bought to live in that is now has yeah. doubled in value yes. and now they're. Now they're millionaires and so, on paper, and they're going, I need to start fucking acting like it yeah. and shooting poor people. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and so with the righteousness of every you know millionaire, right, uh, yeah. they have decided to make war on the poor, right? Uh, my favorite Safe Seattle-like thread was somebody had left blankets in a park in Ballingford, uh, Ballingford, and <laughs> Ballard uh-huh. had left blankets in a park, and they have a, like, mul- like hundred-post meltdown of... This, you know, literally what I'm just says, this is terrorism. <laughs> and, you know, like, <laughs> ISIS has finally come to Seattle. All these blankets are a, you know, and they're like, should we get guns? And, like, all this kind of stuff. It's like, it's literally insane. Wow. They were like, I'll call the police and tell them somebody has a gun in the park, you know, for the blankets, I guess. Uh, the cops are <laughs> come and air hole the blankets. But anyways, all these guys, like, love the police, and they invite them to their little public events and stuff, and they hang out with them, and they live next to a lot of them, because the cops here get paid a ton. Oh, yeah. And, uh... The police all feed their little pea brains with this notion that, you know, look, 
Uh, it's it's the Vietnam story. Like we want to go out here and do our jobs, but the government's tying our hands. Oh, you true, know, yeah. you know, like like each one of them was like John Rambo. Like, are they gonna let us win <laughs> this won't time? Let us win. <laughs> you know, like, they won't let us win. <laughs> so you know, so, <laughs> so each cop like wants to you know, it, it, but it's you know telling them this constantly. It's become this like huge narrative on the right in Seattle. Which is very alive and well and controls most of the state politics. But yeah, but this narrative that uh, the Seattle police are uh, an inherently great institution. And the only reason they aren't like, you know, uh, rounding the homeless up and putting them in camps is because uh, the the powerful city council uh, won't let them do it. Right. Um, yeah. And it, it goes back to that sort of narrative we were talking about, like the, you know, what do these people think the government is? They're, they, they hate the city council and they hate the mayor. But the the police are somehow outside of it. They're just like a cool organization that yeah. hangs out, and yeah. and if the if the city if the city government would just get out of their fucking way, like <laughs> you know, they can really do their job. And and they'll tell all these like fantasies of like you know, Seattle cops are quitting over this, and it's like well, yeah, like a good, and you know, we could use less cops, and b no, they're not because they get paid. Five, they're making like one hundred thirty thousand a year with overtime, like. There's no job in the city. You can yeah, be there year one and make 130 what, grand. What they're no. doing there, when they say that, and there, there is on this My Northwest shit and all over, there is a, there's a ton of that narrative around, like, that they're, the cops, they're going to leave. They're talking about yeah. leaving. Like, They've been doing this for years. This great still thing. Here, but what they're yeah. doing there is, like, idiotically parodying a capital flight narrative mm-hmm. that they don't understand, but they have heard that is ubiquitous in our culture, right? Mm-hmm. That does not fucking apply to them because... They're not going to move their cop operation uh, to yeah. a fucking third world country and set up a cop, a yeah, cop yeah. factory there. Se- like, Seattle PD Inc. is going to move to yeah, Eastern exactly, Washington or something. Right? Yeah. Like, like, that's just... But they've heard. They're like, oh, you know, that is that is the response to... Mm-hmm. That they're, they've heard um, with their dumb pea brains <laughs> that you, you threaten to leave. You know, because that is a, pa- a real power that capital has, mm-hmm. that industry has, that we've let them have but <laughs> dude you're again yeah you're getting paid very well you're not going fucking anywhere yeah yeah, inc- yeah yeah and i mean honestly like if the cops like you won't let me kill the homeless i'm out of here i mean like <laughs> yeah. good like, uh, yeah <laughs> no. please mention that in your exit interview for our records yeah you know? like um i'm out of here i'm the green river killer now <laughs> yeah. like you know like you know i mean you know but oh, yeah, man. that's their popular sort of narrative at this point. So yeah, not shocked that Dory is uh, very concerned about the uh, police. Or... Yeah, Dory and Jason, man, they're yeah. like they're they're real worried about um, all the cops leaving. And so, I'm like, oh, do now we, we know the real victims. Do we need to get we need to get a man and a woman cop and try to repopulate? <laughs> <laughs> We're running out of time. Uh, <laughs> we need a Noah's Ark for cops. That yeah. might be... I mean, that just might be too powerful. <laughs> the ultimate cop. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, Dare we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We spent all this time thinking about it we could. We never thought yeah. we should. Playing <laughs> <laughs> God. Oh, my God. Uh, okay, okay. So, um, Brian has a piece out in Jacobin. came out a couple weeks ago. It's called Cops Are at War Out There. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh man, and like they they are they 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 dress like it, they act like it. Um, but tell us a little bit about like uh, just you know, so it's in Jacobin. You can find that jacobinmag.com. Um, it's a totally normal magazine with normal views mm-hmm. that um, a 
all, all normal people agree with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fully endorsed by Mayor Journey Durkin. Yes. Too. She's, yes. That, she's, she's, actually, totally she's head editor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, very mainstream. Um, well, well, we'll put a link to it. So. Yeah, for sure. No, for sure. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but basically what you talk about here is like this utterly chilling... Oh, really, all you have to do here for a lot of this piece is just quote fucking cops <laughs> on the internet to just curdle the blood of the reader. Mm-hmm. And just yeah. like, between like, just rage, hate, and fear that you have reading the, these, this shit these people say is like incredible. Um, uh, let me, let me pick out a good one here. Uh, well, while you're looking for that, I mean, one thing that really, okay. uh, resonated to me was how your story and the way cops kind of think about themselves and their plight in scare quotes sort of it completely mimics the modern conservative narrative like it reminded me a lot of when newt gingrich got grilled and i think it was before 2016 about crime is up crime is up and there and everyone's going newt no, that, that is yeah, not, not true and he's like no, it is and, and i believe it is so it is and it's kind of like the same thing where these people have constructed their own bizarre world that doesn't really exist. But yeah. they have guns. Yeah, yeah. And, and, <laughs> and with yeah. impunity. Well, and they live in a, a total victim narrative, right? Which mm-hmm. is, again, every, like, MAGA uncle and everything. Yeah. You know, this total victim neighborhood narrative of, like, you know, I've lived the easiest possible life and, like, have a boat dealership and, like, all this kind of stuff, but somehow I'm oppressed, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and the police are the same way mm-hmm. in that, you know, they'll tell the story of, like, everybody's out to get us, everybody's out to get us because, a you know, them, like you know, unloading an M16 on a four-year-old made the news, and they'll be like, you know, the the news is our enemy, and it's like, but when you watch the news stories, they're basically like, yeah, you know, a cop, like, you know, completely unloaded on a child, this, but the a child could have... begging drug-dealing yeah, yeah. four-year-old. <laughs> but the child... With a history of arrest. <laughs> yeah, the next line is always, but he was no angel, and <laughs> yeah. he had a knife, right? And, like, all this kind of stuff, yeah. and, and, you know, it, it's just this, like, fantasy they live in, but the reality is, is that, um... You know, in a sense, in their mind, you know, they are, like, the victims and that they have to, like, be slightly uncomfortable for part of the day because they have to be around somebody who doesn't look exactly like yeah, them and right, things like that. Right. Uh, but at the same time, too, there's this deep, inherent culture that is institutionally bred mm-hmm. in police uh, that teaches them that they are essentially an army of counterinsurgency, that they exist in enemy territory, yeah. and that everybody around them is, is the enemy. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's not accidental. That actually comes from the post Vietnam War era and dealing with the civil rights movement. Uh, LAPD, of course, like all good things, originated this idea of bringing in counterinsurgency experts from the Marines at the time, but from mm-hmm. the military, to train their police officers and how do you deal with a a population that is dangerous, right? You know, deal with being surrounded by them. And now their language And, and they asked the the US Marines who had mm-hmm. so much success. Yeah. Well, after, after successfully winning a war in Vietnam, they came back and, yes. and, and beating back the communist hordes, mm-hmm. and successfully, um, per, you know, protecting the 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 loyal hamlets from the mm-hmm. uh, scourge of communist infiltration. And the you know, and the grand irony of the whole thing is that come the war on terror or whatever in Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, it was the military talking with LA SWAT. 
about fighting in urban environments. So, you know, I mean, it all came full circle, but the counterinsurgency mindset just fully imprinted on these people's heads. It's everything. It's how they talk. They use all the military jargon. Like, I mean, it's, it's very silly. Like to to read cops talk in the fifties versus now is like, well, they're hilarious. They, they, even when they do it, when they're dressed up like that, they're wearing their riot gear. They've got, they Mm -hmm. still look like they're cosplaying because they're Mm -hmm. still a bunch of just fucking suburban dickheads who don't actually, they've had like a few seminars but like um mm-hmm. they they just look like a bunch of morons um yeah and certainly like some people like i know radley balco who writes about this kind of stuff has been like very concerned about the, there's these programs to bring people coming back from iraq and afghanistan and oh, give them jobs as cops uh-huh, right and he's like yeah. very concerned of like you know yeah maybe these people have like uh, ptsd issues right. or like you know maybe this isn't the proper training for a police officer and i mean all that is valid but the vast majority of police officers to this day are people who are too cowardly to like join the military because people actually shoot back at you right. they join the police because they know the bullets all go one way yeah like yeah. and they are very aware of yeah that. <laughs> like you know like, well it's this weird yeah. thing this idea this warrior culture that you talk about in the piece mm-hmm. is like there's some weird um there's multiple forces like at work here because on the one hand it's this this like right-wing fever dream fantasy of being this warrior that comes from for a lot of these guys probably just feelings of powerlessness and impotence and rage and and a desire and on maybe the brighter side of it a desire to find some place of respect in the community that is accessible to them or whatever Mm -hmm. and that through and that feeds into this warrior fantasy that they take out in real like in Mm -hmm. real life like live round larping on the streets you know (laughs) um but on the other hand it's 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 not a fantasy because like you're like you say it is they are being taught and like it's coming from the it's coming from the bottom up and the top down it seems mm-hmm. like then it's feeding into it because they're being told um that they are fighting a counterinsurgency you mm-hmm. know and i think it goes and that i like in particular like the in the militarization of cops like goes back to um you know like you're saying uh the last several decades but I mean, it goes farther than that, because the idea of policing, as we, like, think about it, um, doesn't really go back that far. It's just, like, 150 years, and it goes back to um, the idea of having, rather than, like, a sheriff and some deputies who respond when there's been a crime and, you know, take care of it, the idea of having armed people on the street all the time, like, watching out for a neighborhood is a counterinsurgency strategy in the first place that comes from the British Empire. Um, and that's the that's where the idea of police comes from. Yeah, the history of police is interesting. I mean, so the, the traditional, like, textbook answer is that Robert Peel creates the first, like, police force in London, and he designs it after the... Uh, and he does this in 1828, and he designs it after the Irish Constabulary, yeah. which is literally just the occupational forces in Ireland, right? Yeah. So, I mean... Not a subtle, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, you know, yeah, transition. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the United States is actually a little different because 
the Amer- the first American police forces like you could consider a modern police force is in uniforms, get paid, carry guns, all this kind of stuff. Are the slave patrols that get created? They create these city slave patrols. The first one being in Charleston, uh, fifty years prior in the seventeen eighties, actually, uh, and that is where the like formal American policing comes from. But it's the same thing. It's people all... are on the job all the time looking yep. for looking yep. for somebody, and their job is not just runaway slaves. It's controlling crowds. Right. Mm-hmm. One of their main functions expressly stated for the Charleston Slave Patrol is controlling crowds of black people. Right. Which there were like free blacks and stuff like that in Charleston. But if there's two of them on a corner, they better be moving. You know, like, you know, and that was one of their main functions. They were also given the ability to search people for papers. They were given the ability to enter residences and things like that. I mean, mm-hmm. what you would consider to be modern police, police powers. powers. Yeah. And the thing is, is both in that situation and in the British situation, it was all about controlling your local labor force, right? Mm-hmm. You needed a London police force because you had a huge influx of industrial labor, a lot of it Irish, right? So why not bring in the same thing, right? Yeah. Uh, and in the American South, you know, by 1800, every city in the American South had its own police force, right? That was usually called the Watch or whatever. But, you know, but uh, they created those first police organizations. And then by the 1830s in the North, they start to have some rebellions of their own, urban rebellions. And, you know, what do you know? Some of those people who had worked for and run these programs in the South go ahead and work their way up to, like, Baltimore and New York and things like that and start running there. And then the the what you would call probably the birth of, like, really modern police and the idea of a, a professionalized, routinized police force comes from the Progressive Era. And again, once again, because we have a series of labor strikes starting yeah. in the 1870s going into 1900, and right. it became very apparent you couldn't count on local police to put down the labor strikes. And uh, you couldn't count them because they weren't professional, right? You just, it was, it was all political appointments. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first response to that was they built the National Guard, or they created the National Guard in 1877 in response to the, I mean, the 1877 railroad strike happened. Uh-huh. <laughs> Rail strikes all over the country. Uh-huh. Yeah. And rich people collectively lost their shit. And then for completely different reasons, shortly after uh, the National Guard was created and they started putting armories in every city. Uh, I'm sure there's no connection between the two. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but yeah, and you know, and you can go back and read. I mean, they directly are saying like we're doing this because of these strikes. And by the time you get to the Progressive Era, uh, you know, like we need a professional police force that when we tell them to go shoot, they'll do it, right? Yeah. And that's the era we've lived in since then. And right? and if you, someone is going to do that, if they're going to be those trigger men ready to do that, then they're going to have to have that the training for that and a culture mm-hmm. that that is going to make them ready to feel like when they're doing that, they're ready for it and they're doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that they're out there fighting the enemy. I mean, it, yeah, it all, wow, you know, put put some great idea, like a few, just sounds like a bunch of great ideas came Coming together, together. <laughs> here, which are like sure. imperial counterinsurgency, slave catchers, and... Um, mm-hmm. And union busters <laughs> well, and, together, and, and you get your modern cop. And, and the one know? key element that's missing from that story, too, uh, which, you know, it's just another great idea to throw on top, is the United States, it, it produces a lot of things, but one of its major industries, one of its major exportations is weapons, right? Yeah. The largest weapons producer in the world, mm-hmm. right? 
And at some point, I mean, granted, they can sell a lot of weapons to the U.S. military, but at some point, like, we've outstripped that as far as the productive capacity, right? So the weapons have to go somewhere, right? So we sold them internationally to people. We sold them to, like, and that's the reason why, like, you know, maybe you have, like, a weird uncle with 15 guns or whatever, right? It's because they need to unload the supply, but the other location was the police, Yeah. right? You know, why do the police all have, you know, machine gun? Like, CLPD has multiple grenade launchers, (laughs) you know? I mean, why do they have them? Yeah. Because we have them to sell. they're cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. the actual answer. I mean, that's what the police would tell you. That's why they yeah. buy them. But yeah. uh, but the the real reason is the why we're armed to the gills is because we make guns. Yeah. You know, if we didn't make guns, we wouldn't be armed to the gills, right? But we wouldn't and, a lot of things. Yeah. So the thing is, is like we have all these like horrible elements that go into our policing, right? Which are very similar to most other countries, to be honest. Like, they're anti-labor, right? Right. They're origin slave catching, all this kind of stuff. The counterinsurgency model, and then we throw on top of it we just opened the doors to the world's largest armory and gave it to them. Right. And, and that is the real key, you know, that's because you don't get to feel like a soldier if you're not wearing 80 pounds of body armor, carrying, you know, a machine gun and, 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 you know, and and have a tank. And then (laughs) throw in now onto that, what we've kind of been talking about, which is the right wing betrayal narrative of the Vietnam war that sort of creates this entire, this whole, uh, this whole weird dichotomy we've been talking about, this conflict of, like, being pro-cop but anti-government mm-hmm. or something. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. This weird, mm-hmm. like, uh, right-wing this, mindset yeah. is this... Be- it comes from this betrayal narrative, mm-hmm. you know, um, Which I of, mean- you know, because... Of- <laughs> America just couldn't fucking handle losing a dumbass war it shouldn't have got into, and like we've been paying for it psychologically ever since. Yeah, and I mean, there's, I mean, the interesting thing about that too is even the betrayal narrative is like this hilarious sort of inversion of reality, which is the government. De- I mean, the state definitely wanted to win the Vietnam oh, War. Fuck yeah, was, was willing to fill the ocean with bodies, right? Like, I mean, they're killing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're killing as many people as they could as fast as they could. I mean, the the ultimate, if you want to call it betrayal, came from the soldiers who didn't want to fight it, yeah. right? And yeah. refused, you know. And you know, by you know 1970 or whatever, the Defense Department's telling Nixon like the like the army's basically in full rebellion. Like, we can't keep fighting. Right? Yeah. Like, the, yeah. the war's over. Like, we yeah. have to stop. Yeah. And. Uh, but Rambo completely turned that around, which came out, which came out very specifically not in 1975, yeah, but in yeah. the 1980s. Yeah, right? yeah. But turned the narrative around. The government sold us out. The soldiers did their yeah. thing, right? Well, it you popularized know? like what was an underground like current. Mm-hmm. The whole like you know, uh, POW MIA mm-hmm. like white power notion. But like, <sighs> yeah. Uh, no, I forget what I was going to say. Um, <laughs> it's also sunny in here and cheery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. fuck, man. <laughs> we actually all collectively have guns in our mouths right now. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's making it hard yeah. to talk. We're talking about Vietnam, so we're doing a little deer hunter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, and I mean, those movies are really important. I mean, there's an author, uh, his name is I think Jerry Lemke, who writes mm. a lot about that, about like that they were very consciously like, pushing for those movies. The Nixon White House is very consciously like, pushing for those movies to get made and, like, funding even some of them, like Deer yeah. Hunter and stuff yeah. like that. And that the the reason was to flip the narrative, right? You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, initially, they tried to flip the narrative to all the soldiers are on drugs, right? That was going to be their first thing. Like, sure. the reason why the soldiers suck is because they're all on drugs. Yeah. But, yeah, I think they realized that that's probably not going to be the most popular, <laughs> like, way to go. And yeah. so they eventually just changed it to this, like, uh, you know, they were sold out or yeah. whatever, you yeah. know, kind of narrative. But Which right. didn't really catch on until Reagan. 
Well, but... at first it was... Well, the first they tried the more obvious of were sold out, betrayed by the people mm-hmm. at home, mm-hmm. okay? Yeah, like the spitting the, myth. The bullshit, the yeah. bullshit yeah. myth of showing back up and getting spit on mm-hmm. by some hippies, mm-hmm. which never literally ever happened once in America. Uh, but, I, ironically, the one time, that, the one uh, news story we have of soldiers getting spit on was people from the VFW spitting on anti-war vets. Like these old shits, like fucking spitting their dentures out at people (laughs) Uh, oh man so uh yeah and so and then but then somehow went in the fog of time like they were able Mm -hmm. actually actually to just turn it back it's very politically useful to just go oh well it was it was you know these Mm -hmm. these un-american forces in the government we've had that sort of narrative in one way or another that like this sort of partisan un-american you know accusation well and in generally like you know the the way the state tends to work right is you know the american state goes out and does something horrible then it just completely changes the narrative around using its cultural power right to completely change the narrative around yeah. and in policing and with the militarization of the police a very similar thing happened which is in the 80s they finally started to open up the armory to the police right mm-hmm. not officially the program hadn't uh, the 1030s or whatever mm-hmm. program hadn't uh, been created yet but uh they start giving, like, all, you know, all these cops tanks and shit, right? Yeah. You know, like, I, I lived in Lubbock, Texas for a little bit, which is a very small town in West Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a tank, you know? Like, because, yeah. of course, right? Um, but, yeah, so they gave like, tanks and shit like that. And at one point during the 1980s, when Daryl Gates was kind of running, like, you know, r- you know, through South L.A., right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it got a little embarrassing because they kept running tanks into houses and shit, right? I mean, like, full on, just, like, yeah. they, they had this tank, and they were just, like just ram it right through a house and then they'd like walk in behind and like look around <laughs> to see if they ran anybody over right yeah. there's that yeah. that is um that sounds like it came from the simpsons no no it's, that, it's, it's in, in the movie dragon that is a say. real thing they I were know. doing that yeah i remember yeah. seeing that as a kid and going this is funny but it makes no sense it <laughs> yeah. can't be real yeah. and only later understanding holy shit wow that it, that's a real thing. And, and then thought, the end, they they one up it where they've got an, an uh, playing, LAPD yeah, yeah. F15 or something. Yeah. But like, yeah. <laughs> and um and they had this like big PR event, and I think it was in '89, where they even had Nancy Reagan show up, and her and Daryl Gates were like eating fruit cups on this like air conditioned uh, uh, like RV, uh-huh. while like SWAT like did a full like explosive entry on this house, and like I mean just tore this place to shreds, and had Nancy do a tour of an infamous South Central crack den, of which they found I think like a small bag of marijuana was all they were finding, <laughs> but and Nancy just walks through and of course i mean she's been like rich for a very long time mm. and you know famously thought the decor at the white house was like too pedestrian she walks into this like home of poor people in south central la and she's like look at how these people live oh, you know it's below humanity right and like all this kind of stuff but you know so i mean they had that i mean they were very public about a lot of that stuff but the reaction they got was not the one they wanted which was a lot of people saw that and were like horrified <laughs> like holy shit dude like a the cops have tanks yeah. b yeah. they're driving them into people's houses yeah. like holy fuck that's crazy yeah. and so what they ultimately end up doing is they then, you know, using cultural power in, in a, an event that actually did happen, which was the L.A. Uh, highway shooting, the L.A. Uh, bank robbery and highway shooting. Mm. And, uh, like, the most important movie of the night was Heat, right? Yeah, and, yeah. like, and that came out. And basically, like, uh, when you look at policing research, they'll talk about, you know, they justified having the guns after the fact by the highway shooting in L.A. But the reality was this 
No, the reason why we all think cops need guns is because we all watched Heat in the 90s. And to be fair, Heat rules. Yeah, that movie's yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's cool as fuck. But, <laughs> yeah. but like, the, the thing is, is, part of the reason why it's cool as fuck is it's, like, it's such a GTA, like, fantasy oh, of, like, yeah. I'm gonna run through LA with, like, this enormous machine gun just <laughs> gunning everything down in front of me. Yeah. But people watch that shit and they think it's real, yeah. right? And yeah. so, of course the cops need a tank. Now, granted, they already had them, but, you know... <laughs> now they need two. <laughs> exactly, yeah. but we're gonna justify it well after the fact. But, yeah. That cultural power is so strong, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. So, cool. Right. And, and it's what your piece is about, about, like, mm-hmm. this idea that they think that they believe and they talk and then they sell this to the culture about them, about cops being in danger for their lives every mm-hmm. day and that it's, like, a fucking war out there. And, yeah, I mean, it's all... It is all... I think we talk about it a lot as just being... You know that these cops are these dumb aggro assholes, but really they're, and it is it attracts those guys. But they're that is the job they've been hired to do is to mm-hmm. feel that way mm-hmm. and then and take it out on a population. Yeah, and an institution makes sure you feel that way, and it begins in the uh, it begins in training. Right, you go to the academy, and I've I've actually you know. I come from a population where I know plenty of people who become cops, right? Uh-huh. You know, and you you see them change over time. Like, it's a sure. very... It's one of the things that get theorized, but when you watch it happen, it's like, it's a very noticeable change. Yeah. But they go to the academy, and they're shown all these videos of, like, uh, this cop pulled somebody over and went up to give him a ticket, and they shot him with a fucking rocket launcher and then found their family and killed all of them. Or something. You know, these, like, made-up yeah. stories. Or, like, they'll yeah. find some, like, story from, like, 1985. Or, like, but, no, they don't express to the people in the training right that this is an extremely rare thing and that we had to go like back 20 years just to find one case of (laughs) it to show you this thing right uh but they explain it to him as like they because they'll show him that and they'll with traffic traffic stops this is a big thing in teaching them that and they'll be like the traffic stop is the most dangerous thing that you'll do the irony of course being that traffic police is like the most dangerous thing that police do but it's because of car wrecks exactly. like it has nothing to do with like being yeah. shot at traffic right. stops. it's because the majority people of cops who die you. in the job die in car wrecks like uh, which is, is most people who have car about who, um who's at fault in the accident or is that kind of <laughs> is that kind of rigged I mean, uh yeah. I, it's uh, it's up in the air but i have a long commute and i gotta tell you <laughs> yeah. i have some theories <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know i mean you see those guys driving yeah. like fucking dickheads yeah. no mm-hmm. i'm not even just talking about chases which like oh, it yeah. seems like at least some cities mm-hmm. are like trying to crack down yeah. on car yeah. chases like i mean la was known for that for a long time and now they've just got the mm-hmm. the ghetto birds overhead every time oh yeah. god that is one thing i you know i do not miss about la is a the choppers all constantly uh the helicopter thing came from uh after vietnam uh i think it's i think it's mcdonald douglas somebody who built the, built the mm-hmm. huey helicopters yeah. needed to um they didn't want to lower production after the war they would oh, keep making yeah, well, them go, go. Yeah, so mean, they just start selling them to the police yeah, <laughs> you know? I mean, well, but but yeah um bring down war production after the war is <laughs> over yeah. i mean but i mean well, why yeah. don't just keep cranking them out assume we're gonna start another fucking war yeah and if you work for those companies right the war is always great right yeah. but um you wish it go on forever but maybe uh, that's it though maybe it's more like maybe the reason that the defense industry felt like they needed to open up a new market in law enforcement is because unlike the previous 30 years after the end of the Vietnam War they were looking around and going holy shit America may never get into another fucking war again because that's how the whole country felt the Vietnam syndrome like you know like 
we're this everyone's turned off this shit so they probably thought well we got to start like we got to mm-hmm. think outside the fucking box here <laughs> sure and because previously just we like yeah just keep selling the army weapons that they will stockpile and then drop on an, some country somewhere. Well, and it makes a little sense because after World War One, the weapons industry did a huge nosedive because yeah. the government was like, oh, we're not in a war, we don't need to buy guns, and the army doesn't have to be this big, and like all this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah, I know, this crazy thought passed the <laughs> But after World War Two, you know, it looked for a half second like that might be the case, but then comes along the Korean War and yeah. then the Cold War, yeah. And, yeah, I think the weapons manufacturers are like, no, the, the Bonanza can last forever. Like, we can be forever in the good times. And, poli- you yeah, know, selling to police is a big part of that. And, yeah. and again, for the, the cops, right, they, you know, so they're being told in training, right, that every interaction you have with a person, they're going to kill you, right? You know? Yeah. They have this, like, hilarious video of this guy, like, pulling all these knives out of, like, every part of his jacket. Oh and he has, like, God. hundreds of knives, right? Yeah. Like, all oh, weapons are everywhere. They show him these yeah. videos where, like, everybody had... Just imagine that everybody has, like, a million Uzis on them at all times, because yeah. they probably do. I can only and, fit two, two or three. <laughs> I know, I know. Life, you know, aspirations or goals. Or <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, um, so they tell him all this stuff. Then they get out, you know, into a department... And they're paired up with, you know, usually an older police officer who's been on the force for a while. Mm-hmm. And that cop then tells them all the bullshit that he's learned on the force, right? And this is the bad neighborhood. This is the good neighborhood. These guys do this. And, of course, you know, nobody who becomes a cop wants to be like, yeah, because it's a very macho job. So nobody's going to be in like, yeah, this neighborhood's safe as fuck. <laughs> yeah. like, there ain't nothing happening. Yeah, right. I'm just rescuing cats. I'm yeah. sleeping on the side of the road. Right. Like, you yeah. know, I'm yeah. eating my lunch, yeah. right? Like, yeah. no, they're always like, dude, the gang's out here is crazy, you know? Like, the gang situation out here is nuts. Like, if you talk to a Seattle PD officer, he'll tell you that Seattle is, like, gang central. Oh, I do talk to it Seattle is. PD officers. <laughs> uh, yeah, ask what they think about the gang situation in Seattle. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's hilarious. Oh, I mean, like, it's amazing to talk to like, them. I talk to, I, I interact with them occasionally at work when we're doing, mm-hmm. like, work on the streets, on the road. Mm-hmm. And so then they'll, like, off-duty cops, they'll get paid a bunch of money to come mm-hmm. and hang with us and, like, direct traffic and stuff. And, man, yeah, talking to these guys... Sometime. Yeah, you just like then you just get him talking for a minute. Like it doesn't take much mm-hmm. to get him to start bragging about the time that <laughs> fucking like yeah. crack some guy's head, you know. And and the funny part about police because there's never any sanction against them, they will tell you everything. Like I mean, it right, is one yeah. of those funny things. Like they're the easiest like people to talk to. Like I mean, all you have to do is just push just a little bit, yeah, like, yeah. and you will they will give you everything because because they live in a consequence free environment, right. right? You know. So when the when one story does happen to blow up mm-hmm. and people get pissed off, then they're like, "Whoa, what the fuck? Yeah. We're and, under attack here!" And honestly, nothing ever happens to any of the police in these stories. No. But the thing the police are upset about is that you're mad at them, like you know, like, "Oh my god, I can't believe you guys are mad at us right now." Yeah. Like you know, and, they, and for them, that's like the worst thing that could happen. Right, because right? the whole narrative of them, they they're supposed. to they, the reason they get up every morning is to be the macho hero of the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact that they're cowards to a man. Sure, yeah. Think, you know? you oh. touch on that in the piece, right? You talk about like warriors that went out to work for you that didn't come home and you have to remember <laughs> them. Like, yeah, yeah. Building this myth around policing. Yeah, and yeah, the, yeah, because they'll always talk about like the the fall. They, they refer to them as fallen warriors, yeah. that warriors, all yeah. And yeah, and they'll th- say things like, "When you're going out there, keep your head on a swivel." And yeah, keep it, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and like everything <laughs> is like the like cheesiest Vietnam yeah. War movie, right? And yeah. and they do that, and so I mean. That culture gets ingrained in them, and mm-hmm. then maybe they'll get on, you know, they'll sign up for, like, crowd control, or they'll sign up for, you know, SWAT is the ultimate, like, macho thing you want to do. 
And uh, then they're given, like, body armor and, like, yeah. special weaponry and mm-hmm. things like that. And it's like, well, yeah, of course they think they're the army. They fucking look like the army. They have the army command structure. Yeah. They have the army mission, right? Like, they, yeah. of course they look like the army. Yeah. I mean, they're a, a, essentially military organizations now. No. They're not... Uh, you know, you hear the phrase, the word paramilitary a lot mm-hmm. used to describe. But, I mean, if they're agents of the state... Mm-hmm paid by the state yeah. legitly out in the open and they're armed like that it's just a military organization yeah i mean you know paramilitary typically uh means like a not professional organization yeah. whereas well, the just, police are just... very much a professional military they have a whole bureaucracy they may be a bunch of dickheads who don't yeah. know what they're doing half the time but there are yeah. they are a professional military yeah like auc like death squads in columbia are paramilitary yeah. because they don't have a bureaucracy <laughs> like yeah, you know yeah, but the yeah. police very much have one and they're very very proud of it yeah, but you don't, uh, you don't have to pass a test to join you just have to yeah there's no academy for it right yeah. um but yeah um so they they get the body armor and all that they've been told their whole life that everybody's you know dangerous on the street plus they have all the internal bullshit that they have that you have from living in america right mm-hmm. so you have these situations right where which i've been to where you'll go to a like you know the clan will do a rally yeah. right and you'll go to oppose the clan and the police will line up and they do this mysterious thing where they turn their backs to the clan but face the crowd yeah. right yeah. and they're telling you something there about where the danger is in mm-hmm. their mind right because for them the clan is a neutral institution or whatever yeah. but the Post crowd of people in front me. of them are bad I, I, that is one that and I mean, we've obviously like we've seen that a mm-hmm. lot over the last like two yeah. and a half years, because sure. there's been a lot of right wing rallies, yeah, you like know, a of various or whatever, all, yeah. of all <laughs> kinds, <laughs> and that has happened. Um, and it's like you totally get it when it's like the WTO, <clears throat> the <clears throat> cops show up to like you know, and there's just some conference of suits, like <clears throat> ha- international suits happening. Yeah, they're gonna turn up and face the protesters, okay, <clears throat> but like. And on the one hand, I'm like, yeah, well, they are all fascists. That's sort of the nature of mm-hmm. what they exist to be. But it's still, I, I'm, I have trouble making this leap. Like, how do they consciously or unconsciously, like, what is going on there that that is what happens? Like, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, they're fed an image of who is dangerous, right? Groups that aren't dangerous include historical organizations that have killed thousands of people. Yeah. <laughs> Groups that are dangerous. But, I mean, that just goes by, like, the images they're shown, uh, both in training but also in the media. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time, uh, they have a lot of crossover membership with yeah, these groups. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, the, co- that's yeah. the obvious one. Like, yeah. yes, a lot of them are actually fascists and, yeah yeah and but the thing Klansmen. is it's, it's it, you know it's one thing to say that like cops in the clan are like frequently have a lot of crossover which i mean they still do well, but historically it's historically extremely. they absolutely are the same organization yeah, yeah, yeah. but uh but more recently like you still that still pops up every once in a while but the other thing is groups uh that are maybe less on people's radar like these sovereign citizen groups mm-hmm. and things like that even groups like patriot Prayer and all this kind of weird shit right that I mean, looking at it from the left, you're like, yeah, there's like a racist organization full of shitheads. Yeah. But they don't necessarily see themselves like that because yeah. they are openly stating like all black people should be like and they, you know, killed all, or whatever. They they but, they are suburban white people and they look like it too. Sure, yeah. So and they're really and they're and they're generally like organizations like gun enthusiasts too. Like yeah. that tends to be like their main kind of organizing catch. But the thing is, you can go and read 
you know, stuff like Law Officer Magazine and Police Magazine and things like that. And they will write articles, like, supporting these groups. And they'll be like, yeah, dude, uh, Sovereign Citizen, cool, I man. That is, a, it's an inversion of the, like, it's like a perfect mirror image of this weird contradiction of being, like, pro-cop and anti-state, where you mm-hmm. can be a cop mm-hmm. designed, uh, um, someone who is like a counterinsurgency warrior for the state mm-hmm. and like give a big old salute and a thumbs up to an anti-state like sovereign citizen gun like gun-toting terrorist sure you know right-wing yeah. terrorist and it's <laughs> like just i guess if i want to like bring that back and tie it to something it's that our politics much more broadly than these issues have been in sort of our neoliberal like moment have been sort of stripped away away to to these very fuzzy nothings very Mm -hmm. deliberately so that all the things that we think about like that our culture broadly thinks about is what politics are and what they're about are horseshit and aren't the real Mm -hmm. issues um what we think of as liberal and conservative, what we think of as a Democrat and Republican party, are these really just very bland, um, actually anti-politics. Um, and so people have no frame of reference to yeah. think about any of these things. You know? well, well, and to give you like the ultimate sort of uh, Seattle context version yeah. of this, right? Yeah, please. Is so Seattle gets put on the uh, consent decree in 2011. Mm-hmm. At the time, uh, uh, Mayor Mike McGann actually, like, kind of pushes for some sort of change in Seattle PD, right? He puts this yeah. guy, Jim Pugil, as the interim head of the police uh, the uh, police department. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a bunch of cases that largely involved, like, people jaywalking and then getting decked. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah. uh, that you know, where there had been sanctions taken against those officers, and the police union, of course, wanted all that to be reversed. Yeah. At the time, we had this three-person panel that was, like, two cops and then one mayor-appointed person to, to, to review any uh-huh. uh, punishment that was doled out by the police department, right? Who, miraculously, always sided with the cops. But, uh, but, but, you know, McGann and Jim Pugel pushed back, and they would not let those cases be reviewed, yeah. right? Which was good. So the Seattle Police Union plowed fifteen grand into Ed Murray's campaign, and yeah. Ed Murray got elected and reversed all that shit. He got rid of Pugil, he fired the assistant police chief, who actually was like a pro-reform guy, mm-hmm. and he put in the former head of SPOG, or the Seattle Police Officers Guild, the, yeah. the union, uh, as the head, inter- new interim head of Seattle PD. Which... And miraculously, all those cases got dropped, right? Yeah. Now, at the time when Mike McGann was pushing these things, and keep in mind, this when I tell this story, I feel like I start to have these like warm memories of Mike McGinn, but this is yeah. literally the bare minimum. Like yeah, I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. not doing a lot of yeah, work. This yeah, is like yeah. bare minimum kind of stuff, right? right? It, but at the time, the head of Spog was losing his fucking mind. Oh yeah, and he oh, was like God. going on, you know, Facebook and going on, you know, the the uh, Spog newsletter and basically saying. This is Waco. This is Ruby Ridge. <laughs> like, talking about Seattle PD. One, Whoa. forgetting who killed who uh, in those events. I mean, wait but a minute. But two, like, Ruby Ridge was a group of fucking weird racists. Like, yeah. but, like, Tell it was so telling. Tell yourself a little bit. Like, <laughs> it was so telling. that's some, that, that shit is exclusively the domain of the white power movement. Like, yeah. That's all, like, 
And also, yeah, who killed who? Right? I think you're forgetting what side of those struggles the police were on. Again, this ah, people like how do you get this confused about Mm -hmm. these forces? Like, you know, and it's partially because they're so enmeshed because the gun culture has become the like sovereign citizen Mm, culture, right? Mm -hmm. And they're so enmeshed in that, so they believe all the weird mythologies of of those groups, you know. At one point during that, you know, I I remember Waco very vividly being very close by (laughs) when it happened. And I remember at my dad I was at an office party that my dad's office was like thrown at a hotel and everybody was all drunk and some guy like fell through a glass table and I watched the building burn on TV live. (laughs) But uh during during the Waco standoff yeah uh, i remember watching it yeah they flew this big banner that said we stand with rodney king and like we're with the, we're with the people in la and it's like i don't know that i, I don't know that spog has <laughs> yeah i forget all the other weird shit about wake but i don't think they agree with that yeah, like yeah. you know but yeah i mean it's all very strange but none but, of it matters because in their head it, it it's just something different it's the, no, it's the, the, the state is coming down doing a bad thing the, the thing is yeah. and this is <laughs> this is right-wing politics and fa- it's fascism too mm-hmm. it never makes any fucking sense yeah yeah it's not meant to it's always contradictory it's a jumble of horseshit mm-hmm. every time from the contemporary um you know unite the right types to the republican party to the nazis it, it none of it actually fucking adds up the, so the white power movement took on um, Waco and Ruby mm-hmm. Ridge as these like cause celebs. Mm-hmm. Fucking Waco was like a very yeah again like those the branch the branch Davidians were very like um, it was a mixed bro- race coalition. Yeah, I mean, they were very racist, like, like they're yeah. weird. They were, they were extremely <laughs> weird in a lot of ways. They were not racist. They were very pro like um, you know post racial. Sure. Like existence, you know, sure. and Which, I mean, all makes, about that shit. And if you've ever been to Waco, it makes total sense. Like Waco is like largely black. Like I mean, look, you know, they couldn't have had racist politics where they're at, but they also didn't because all they really believed in was the end of the world and yeah. um, mm-hmm. you know maybe fucking kids. I don't know, but but yeah, um, yeah, all that stuff kind of just gets washed in their brains though, and the real because there is no politics to fact. There's no overarching like idea in fascism. Other than the idea of, uh, you know, dog eat dog, like you know, like this it's, world it's, of like pure competition, and uh, some guys want to have power, mm-hmm. and they can convince other people that they should, and it's really cool that they do. Yeah, that's fascism. That's yeah, it. and you know, people always get like their heads a little turned backwards because they they think fascism, they think Nazis, right? right? Yeah, and they're like, oh, well, this group isn't fascist because they're not like so explicitly racist as the Nazis were. But there was like a lot of European fascists that weren't like oh, yeah. explicitly racist in that same way, right? Like Italian fascism did not have this component of like racial cleansing. Yeah. Now they believe racist things because every capitalist state believes racist things but like it wasn't the centerpiece of their sort of like worldview their pitching Mm -hmm. or whatever and it's like the centerpiece of the worldview was the working class has to be brought in line with force and you know imperialism is very good and we should be doing it right like (laughs) um and that that seems to be like the major overarching theme and for like yeah for fascist cops or whatever the fact that they like they think that they're on the you know whatever side of Waco or Ruby Ridge. I mean, it's silly on its face, but in their heads, like they are this oppressed class, right? You know, right. Uh, who's it's, every bit the equivalent of black people. It's or whatever, victimhood, right? yeah. and that—that's the thing—is like 
people want to i think they want to take like these confused like people with right-wing impulses want to take their what is their very petty and misplaced victimhood Mm -hmm. you know which is ludicrous because and they want to attach it to something larger like a a wounded nationalism narrative Mm mm-hmm but since that doesn't really exist either, they, yeah, yeah. it's got to just like reach out and attach to mm-hmm. to whatever else they can fucking find. Well, do you think it's the influence of libertarianism, basically, like the Timothy McVeigh sure, types, yeah. the militia? So you have these competing sort of factions where they're collapsing into one broader right wing, mm-hmm. and so as a cop, you can kind of pick and. Ch- I mean, if you have no ideology, sure. consistent ideology, you can go. I like this part of libertarianism that mm. really despises this overreach on my liberty. Yeah. Uh, and then I can take this other part of, like, fascism or nationalism or whatever and sympathize with the police. That uses so, me as an instrument <laughs> to overreach yeah, yeah. on people's so liberty. On either you know? side, you can yeah. pick a something out that sort of aligns with a right, right-wing perspective. Yeah, I mean, that's the modern conservative movement. They want to have their... Uh, like white privilege and eat it too. You know? <laughs> yeah, sure. And, and the reality too is they're, they're not doing like a lot of deep thinking about this. Too. I mean, that's, that's part of the reason like why it's cops? like not, yeah, not very. <laughs> but uh, but the thing is, is that I, th- you know, I think the the connecting tissue or whatever why the police like believe a lot of this stuff too is it's gun culture. That's the common. Uh-huh. That's the modern one, right? Yeah. And then it's the idea of. Uh, the idea of like race suicide or the oh, idea like yeah. the yeah the, the countries fall apart like and that white people are being outnumbered and right. like men are being you know de you know classed or depositioned uh-huh. or whatever in in society and they see themselves in some way not even necessarily as protectors of it but as no, like victims victims of it. victims yeah. of it and they're like fighting for their lives out and there that, right right to, to because keep it going, what it is know? they and they want to portray that as and they want to attach a warrior narrative to that but what it is is like a deep deep cowardice oh sure yeah and that is like <laughs> like a profound cowardice and that is that is i mean that it's the coward who is shooting these people oh sure like these unarmed people so so every time that, those are that is what a coward is sure so every time they you know you know when we have our weekly school shooting or whatever right now <laughs> our mass shooting right there, there's always this big narrative it's like church. Of, yeah. yeah exactly there's always this big narrative of um we need to ha- this is why we have to have like police in schools and more police in schools right. and things like that and the, and the reality is is columbine the thing that kicked it all off right mm-hmm. uh there were cops at that school and more so than there being cops in the school by the time, like, when Dylan and whatever the fuck Harris or whatever these idiots were, when they were in the fucking cafeteria, you know, killing the majority of the yeah. people, yeah. there was something like three or four hundred cops outside, and all in full SWAT gear and all that, because they took their time. Like, they worked through that school, right? Yeah. And they were all outside, and to a man, their response of why we didn't go inside was, well, it's dangerous. There's an active shooter in there. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> which I mean... I get. Like, I mean, I don't want to run in there. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, a kind of your fucking job. Like right. you can imagine, like a hundred firemen outside that your building is just burning down. Like, yeah. well, why aren't you doing anything about this? Like, fuck, it's dangerous, dude. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, it's kind of what you signed up for. Yeah. And B, if that's the response, then why do we need more of them? Like, yeah. you know, yeah. and I mean, why and why? Yeah, what? But and then yeah, it's when the people, it's when people are unarmed that they're ready to just go in guns yeah. blazing, like. 
If they know? knew for a fact that those two kids did not have any guns or anything like that, they would have done a full scale, yeah. you know, like mm-hmm. invasion of the yeah, school and probably killed like 50 kids. Yeah. Like, you know, cause every yeah. kid, they would have been like, it's him. And like fucking <laughs> started firing. Yeah. And, uh, but that's, that's, you know, kind of always been the case. Um, I think it was in 67 when there was the, uh, the urban uprising in Detroit, mm-hmm. yeah. they actually called back the 81st airborne from going, they were on the way to Vietnam and they called them back to occupy part of Detroit. Right. Oh, wow. And there was the story about the two sections of Detroit, right? The part that the military was occupying was like fairly orderly. Soldiers were told not to keep their weapons armed, like to, you know, to keep them unloaded, yeah. uh, and to under no circumstances point them at anybody or anything like yeah. that. Right. Well, keep which it. Is their normal, the- they're already there training yeah yeah because they're, they're like yeah duh we're not you know yeah yeah because yeah. if he's second airborne it's not gonna start like pointing yeah. guns at civilians yeah because their thing was like you know this is kind of like a vietnam or whatever like if you're overwhelmed in a city we don't want to antagonize the locals because yeah. like then we'll get killed right? right the detroit police had a very different approach they shot out all the street lights so that they couldn't be seen then they went around and they kept claiming they're snipers, but the reality was they were all just shooting wildly because they didn't, couldn't see anything. They didn't know where anybody was. Yeah. Like, you know, they didn't have any communication, right? Uh-huh. So one of them would be walking down the street like a fucking idiot and probably hear a, a dog in an alley and fire off 10 shots and then somebody would be like, sniper, and they'd start firing, right? And that was how that went down, right? And like the story was of one group of people who was like trained and rational and maybe had a little bit more of an idea of their incoming doom and another group of people who were just pissing themselves scared you know yeah and fucking cowards (laughs) sure yeah Yeah. and i mean that's sort of been the story of american policing right i mean you know (laughs) yeah that reminds me of sarnayev mm-hmm yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, they shut down the, the street for like well, a town, right? The, the whole town, town. Watertown, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, I mean, well, the larger area than that, they shut down the whole like Boston yeah. area, basically. Well, and they let him bleed to death yeah. in a boat for like three hours yeah. while they s- circled it outside. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, damn, what are we going to do yeah. next? I mean, also the Dallas shooter that they blew up with a fucking bomb. <laughs> a robot right. carrying yeah. a fucking bomb. Yeah. yeah. The you guy, know, um, the, the ex-LA uh, cop yeah. who was, who was yeah. capping those cops. By the way, because he, oh, he, he said because he said LAPD was like unretrievably racist and awful. And, like, I read his, his career. manifesto <laughs> and it rules. Um, Officially in support. He went up to Big Eventually, he, like, he's like, okay, now they're looking for me. He went up to like a cabin in Big Bear and they just surrounded it and lit it on fire. Yeah, yeah. And to, I mean, go back to bring it back to the Seattle context yeah. uh, in 2009, which is one of the events that launched the uh, the push for the consent decree. Uh, there was a guy named Maurice Clemens who went to, yeah. uh, I guess it was northern Tacoma, but Lakewood, and shot like four cops in a Starbucks yep. at Lakewood, right? Yeah. Real bad review for that Starbucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he takes off, right? And Seattle PD just gets in their head that because he's black and must be from the Central District, and they send SWAT just up and down the Central District, just barging in people's houses and shit. But the real capper was the Maurice Clemens aunt had made the mistake of calling Seattle PD and telling them like, "Hey, I got a message on my phone from Maurice saying that he might come by my house." So, so P- Seattle PD, of course, is like, you know, scramble all units, right? <laughs> yeah. And they go over to her house and using. Uh, you know, uh, sort of what are essentially like grenade launchers, but yeah, they essentially fired 74 canisters of tear gas into the house without checking to see if anybody was in it or anything like that. By the way, his aunt and her husband 
world preschool teachers who like did music programs and stuff like that at the you know, so, <laughs> people cool. who had called the police <laughs> yeah 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 so cool you know but so when they're finding them in the house keep in mind when i say that they're basically using like grenade launchers is it's not like open a window so i can fire this right. they yeah, fire yeah. through the walls yeah. like they can shoot it through the fucking wall yeah and now so they just air hold this fucking house yeah with fucking tear gas and apparently which i didn't realize this until i knew i was going to come over here and i looked back into the story a little bit apparently the next door neighbor's house for reasons that nobody can explain and spd servers fuck couldn't explain yeah. just went and fired five rounds into the neighbor's house for good measure like, just into the fucking basement. I can explain that. <laughs> like, oh, there's no good, clean spots left on this one. I want to get... Oh, it's my turn. It's my... No, I want to... And as was pointed out by people at the time, like, A, I mean obviously the danger of not even seeing if anybody was in the house I mean, but b like this is just such over i mean you would have killed anybody that was inside yeah. there you would have just suffocated them like yeah but that was their rational response to this whole event you know i think what they would say and or if they were honest was mm. they knew it w- wasn't rational but that's when a, mo- a call comes in like that four cops are dead it what sure. you get to do in that situation is what you've been waiting for, which yeah. is throw rationality aside. Sure. This is an emergency. This is real. We get to now. Mm-hmm. This is serious. We get to go into gear and throw the rules out because in the end, you know, at the end of the day, we'll be able to say, well, you know, they killed four cops and we were, uh, sure. we'll be able to make up a bunch of bullshit. Well, all the guns that you got to play with, you now get to use for real, yeah. right? Yeah. And at the same time, you know that you, it's like, this is free time. Nobody's ever going to say anything bad about it. And honestly, like, I mean, that whole thing ended up being this giant fiasco. I don't know if you remember, Maurice Clemens ended up getting killed by a cop on the street who just saw him, like, Maurice Clemens was already basically dead by that point. He had been shot and been bleeding out for, you know, 12, 15 hours. And I guess he sort of fell out of a truck and the cop just walked up and shot him. (laughs) But, uh, but, they also arrested a bunch of his family members and gave him like 400 year sentences and shit like that. Uh, oh, for and, aiding and abetting, right? Yeah, yeah, for supposedly aiding and abetting. Yeah. All, all but one of which have been overturned, and that one is in appeals and will probably be overturned as well. And, you know, and they're all overturned for like, you know, DA uh, uh, misconduct and things like that, uh, which I believe the guy's Mark Lindquist, who's still, the, by the way, still the. Uh, Oh, what, oh, God damn, what county is Tacoma? And, There's uh, Pierce. The, oh, Pierce. Pierce. Yeah, he's still the Pierce County DA. But uh, anyway, so yeah, they all got overturned because, I mean, because none of these people helped them, right? But it was yeah. just like such bloodlust. And apparently in a completely separate complaint against Lindquist that was filed by some of his staffers about mm-hmm. what an abusive dickhead he was, they quoted him as saying, like, the Maurice Clemens situation was awesome. It was $100,000 worth of free publicity, <laughs> you know? But so for all the people involved... It was great! You know, like, we get to go around kicking fucking doors, we get yeah. to fucking shoot off. I mean, I'm sure some of them were, like, just shooting tear gas up oh, in the air, like, it's, you know, like, it's, for them it was fantastic. It's very understandable. But, yeah, it's, yeah. like, an adolescent impulse, sure. right, that is, like, I think if, like, at least, at least I think most men, if you're honest, you can think back to when you were, you know, 13, sure. and that you grew out of, you were, like... You know, this is a fantasy of like an emergency where you have something, you know, like a uh, something, something exciting actually happens. You know, yeah, in sure. The suburbs, yeah, yeah. You know, like yeah. uh, that's a fan, and you, you, you know, that's I and mean, for a cop, it's got to be like what they're waiting for, right? Yeah, and your life feels like small and empty right now. You yeah. have the big yeah. event, you know. Yeah, but, but yeah, and I mean, that colors a lot of the reaction, and everything, and, and the other part of it is like. 
I, I think it's one of the things you have to deal with. I have a friend who's like very anti-gun or whatever. And I, and I always tell him, I was like, the one thing you're really going to have to deal with is not all the racism and stuff like that. It's that shooting guns is fucking cool, dude. Yeah. Like, it's super yeah. cool. Yeah, like, you talk yeah. to anybody that's yeah. shooting a gun, they're like, it rules. It does, dude. It's like unearned power in your hand. Like, yeah. you, you know, like you, you know, and you didn't pay anything for it. Like, it's just right there. Like, you could be the biggest dumbass yeah. on the planet. Yeah. And you have the same, like, killing power in your hand that the, you know, whoever next to you does. Yeah, and for police, like, they have that same instinct. Like, shooting guns fucking rules, dude. And, like, they're given just free carte blanche on it, right? Yeah. So they just do what, do whatever. And put in, compare that, put that in the, the basket with them being afraid of everything. Mm-hmm. Super fucking racist, right? You know, I, I had one cop who, uh, you know, I, I, who was, this guy was becoming a cop that I knew. And uh, he was in uh, Beaverton, Oregon, that, uh-huh. that, that hotbed of, yeah, that, right. of, of yeah. crazy shit. And he was like, "Oh, he was trying to tell me that he's like, dude, we have like a real like Latino gang problem, like they're a real MS-13. issue here." Yeah, and I, <laughs> it was before MS13. He almost certainly would have said that now, but but like, yeah, I was like, "Well, that just can't be true." Like, yeah. you know, as many times I've been in Beaverton, I don't even know they've seen like a Latino yeah. person. And what it turned out was there was this one bar on the outskirts of Beaverton <laughs> that because like they played like conjunta or whatever, and like uh-huh. and people spoke Spanish, it was like the one place like like d- you know people who like work construction and stuff felt comfortable going sure, to right. Yeah. So that was like the Latino bar. So what he used to do, and he just telling me this, just like unbidden. He's just like, he's like every night, you know, we go over there and we just hang out in our car and we pull over every car that comes out of there and check them for, you know, weapons, warrants, whatever. He's like, we make so many arrests. And I was like, do you, could you imagine if you did that to any bar in America? Yeah. Like, you'd be arresting everybody. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's like, of course, if you check every single person, but like some of them are going to be drunk. Right. You know, we live in a country yeah. where everybody has guns. So like yeah. some of them's going to have guns. Yeah. And we also live in a country that has two and a half million people in prison you don't do that without a lot of people having warrants so yeah. like people are gonna have fucking warrants yeah. but it's like that doesn't mean you have a crime problem it means you're a fucking dickhead who's like shaking people down outside <laughs> yes. of a bar yes. yeah <laughs> okay so let's um let's take this bring it to the present moment right where we're sitting in seattle and talk about the um the new uh police contract sure sure so the the new police contract uh, that it, you know it was passed, but we're waiting for the federal judge who oversees the consent decree to decide whether or not it uh, it conforms with the consent decree, right? Yeah. Which for a while I would have said it was a slam dunk. He's going to say it's going to conform because a year ago, even though CP- CLPD had done absolutely nothing to conform with the consent decree, he was like, "Things are going great," <laughs> you know, like yeah, yeah. The, the police are doing everything right. Um, it, now maybe that's not going to be the case because. You know, in the in the case of this uh, cop who broke this woman's eye socket uh, while she was handcuffed in the back of his car, and uh, we, you know, <laughs> Seattle PD had uh, her case overthrown, or or the case of the officer overthrown in arbitration, uh, and got him about 150 grand maybe in yeah. back pay. Yeah. Uh, the judge actually pushed back and said, like, no, you at least need to get an explanation of like why you would do this. So maybe maybe the judge will not sign off on it. We'll see. But the main thing it does is it the. Spog contract. So we we passed a law a year ago, uh, making it easier to, easier to punish police for doing things that are wrong. Right? We didn't yeah. give them as many avenues with to appeal. Right? Yeah, with a process. Right? We didn't give them as many avenues to appeal. We put more civilians on the various review boards. All this kind of stuff. We also said we changed evidentiary standards. Right? So mm. uh, for police uh, being charged with excessive or not charged, but being punished at work for excessive use of force 
uh, or for lying, which Seattle actually uniquely does not allow its police officers to lie to people, which is very mm. unique in the country. That Like, no other department does that. Lying is actually considered to be a very important part of policing. They even have their own term for it. It's called test-a-lying. But anyways, <laughs> yeah, it's always great when they have a cute term. But, um, but anyways, uh, so, it, you know, it, it was like a nice sweeping reform, whatever, you know. You know, it probably wouldn't change policing generally, but it's something. Yeah. Um, so anyways, the, the SPOG contract essentially gets rid of all that, right? It says, like, it begins by saying anything that conflicts between the SPOG contract and the this ordinance, uh, the contract holds sway, right? So we can repeal the, the ordinance without actually repealing it. A huge political victory for Durkin, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, at the same time, it changed, you know, it gave uh, police officers a lot more forums to appeal to, so they could, you know, pick and choose the one they think is... Uh, you know, most likely to, you know, let the, let them off. Right. And it changed that evidentiary basis, so which I don't think I even explained, but the, the evidentiary basis was that there had to be clear proof that, you know, the, the police officer did something wrong on purpose, right? You know, which is generally, mm-hmm. like, called with malicious intent, right? right. Yeah. yeah. So if I go out and kill you, you would have to prove that in my mind I wanted to kill you for untoward reasons. Rather than, which, the thing we always hear, which is, well, they were following their training and the standard procedure. Well, and what they would say is what they say in every police shooting or every incident, which was, I was scared. Yeah. Now, if you say, I was scared, they, I mean... What, what can they do, right? Like, yeah. you know, I can't look in your brain and, and determine that, right? So yeah. it was basically a get-out-of-jail-free card. This came up right. in the John T. Williams shooting. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is when most people found out about this, when the local DA had to, like, go and, you know, write a letter to the Seattle Times and be like, this is why we're not going to try Ian Burke, because even though he shot this person during rush hour in the middle of downtown and we all saw it, yeah. uh, who knows? Maybe he was scared. <laughs> you know? When he <laughs> so scared that he reached for pulled out, uh-huh. uh, cocked, and fired his service weapon when he thought he was pulling sure. out his taser. And even that is, like, the wrong metric to even go by, because in the real world, right, if, you know, we're hanging out on this boat together, yeah. and I'm like, all of a sudden get terrified of the sea, I can't just shoot you, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. generally that's considered still yeah. a crime. Yeah. Like, just yeah. because you were, like, just because you did your crime in cowardice doesn't yeah. make it not a crime. But for the police... That's their get-out-of-jail-free card, and that yeah. is the thing, which is why they always play up, like, in the killing of Michael Brown, they're like, he was enormous, he oh, was right. eight yeah. feet tall uh-huh. and 300 yeah. pounds uh-huh. and attacking, you know, yeah. uh, because that's their get-out-of-jail-free card. So, anyways, so they changed it from that to, it just had to be a preponderance of evidence that you did something wrong, right? So, just if a reasonable person looked at this evidence, which yeah. do they think you did something? Which is huge, yes. Well, that's gotta so, be closer to uh, the civilian standard, yeah, right? Yeah. Okay. So, the SPOG contract got rid of that, so cool. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> so in any in anything, so and again, the spot contract is also very wishy washy. So a lot of this will have to get decided legally, right? Yeah. And I'm not a fucking lawyer or anything, so I'm just going off of what lawyers have said. Sure. So and, yeah. and mainly off what the uh, Seattle Civilian Police Commission has said, which you can go to their website and read their review of the contract. is very long, mm. but uh, it's very interesting. But um, so in cases where the police officer being punished would affect their future employment. Yeah. They can appeal to a uh, review process that has a higher standard of evidence. That's the wording in the contract. Higher standard. The higher yeah. standard would mean yeah. going back to the like you the know hard get out of jail free. Yeah. 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 So uh, at the same time, and this is like really big in the Cynthia Whitlatch case, which will I mean 
I, I can't imagine there's anything more boring than let me go point by point through the spot contract. So I'll just kind of give one example to sure. illustrate what, what has been lost here. In the case of the Cynthia Whitlatch, if a civilian... And to review, she was the... the... Oh, she officer who was rolling down like Capitol uh, Hill, Capitol Hill, and yeah. saw what's his name, what William Wingate. William Wingate just walking with a cane. Well, it was no. a golf club cane. Right, right it was a golf right, club right. that he was using as, as a cane. A cane. Yeah. And, uh, and when she saw it, though, it was uh, you know Beretta food or whatever. She had to do whatever. Double he was raising it menacingly in yeah. her direction or yeah. some shit. So she essentially saw an elderly black man and was like, "He belongs in jail." So there is a rule in the SPOG contract that says that within 180 days of an infraction being known by one of your commanding officers, you have to be informed that they are pursuing discipline against you, right? Or that they have made a disciplinary Uh judgment against you, right? So we'll walk through a little bit of this case, right? So, (laughs) so... William Wingate in here, I'll be seeing if I can find... Well, I don't even find the dates, so we're not going to worry too much about that. But So, yeah. William Wingate gets caught, he gets arrested by her, he gets taken to jail, he obviously realizes this is bullshit. Yeah. He complains to, I think, some of his family members who he'll come up with some community resources, and they very quickly inform Seattle PD that, you know, he has been mistreated. Yeah. Seattle PD just is like, cool, and throws it in the trash, right? But, the key is, one of the commanding officers knows now. So the uh-huh. clock has started, uh-huh. right? They're not telling anybody, and there is an official process by that point, because it's 2014. Uh-huh. Under the consent decree, we had this thing called the Office of Police Accountability, and there's an official process mm-hmm. that they could go through and do that. But yeah. did you know about that? No. I didn't know about that. Did you know about that? No, right? So, and of course, when they go to complain to the police, they're not telling them. Right. I mean, fuck that, dude, <laughs> yeah, right? right? Right, So, for months, they're complaining to the air, right? And they eventually start complaining to, like, the stranger in Seattle yeah. Times and stuff like that. And it's something like four or five months later, they finally realize through uh, an actual news story in the Seattle Times that this office exists and that you can file a complaint with them, right? So they go over to the office and tell them. Now, I think they had something like not a whole lot of time left, maybe like a month left to get this whole thing resolved in order to meet the 180-day, you know, Uh, uh, limit, right? Uh, So the, the OPA gets this, and then they just start dragging their feet. So, like, cool, we got 180... Like, they just told us this. We got 180 days <laughs> yeah. to resolve this. Yeah. No big deal. Uh, so they start dragging their feet. About a month into it, they find out, oh, shit, like, the Seattle Police Command knew about this, like, definitely some point in the past. Oh, well. <laughs> so they start chug along on it, and they finally give down their uh, opinion, which is that they think that uh, Cynthia Whitlatch should be fired, right? Mm-hmm. Um... The review board agrees, uh, and uh, Mayor Murray at that time fires Cynthia Whitlash. Yeah. She immediately appeals, right? And her grounds for appeal was not, hey, I'm not racist, because we all know she is by this point. We've read her Facebook page and stuff like that. It's not, I'm not racist. It's not, I did nothing wrong. (laughs) She's very clear, like, I Uh I definitely did something wrong. Her appeal is that, Hey, technicality, guys. Uh, the 180 days actually started like way back in the summer, <laughs> yeah. and you waited like a year yeah. to tell me, and that's past the 180 days, right? So, anyways, this appeal kind of is getting kicked around because it's a little hot right yeah. after the fact, and nobody's going to touch it, right? So they kind of let it get kicked around. And last year, they end up resolving. They come to uh, a, an agreement with uh, Cynthia Whitledge, which is that they will change her status from fired to retired, yeah. and they will give her back pay. <laughs> Right, Oof. so we end up giving Cynthia Whitlatch 
a sum that's roughly, I think they gave William Wingate like 400 grand, and they gave Cynthia Whitlatch like 200 grand, and then they paid all of Cynthia Whitlatch's legal fees, uh, wow. which were plenty against yeah, him, which is another 600 grand in legal fees, because uh, she had to pay not just her legal fees, but she had to pay the legal fees of William Wingate as yeah. part of his ruling, which the city actually indemnifies the police for any... So if you have a ruling against a cop, yeah. the city has to pay it, right? right? The cop yeah. is never coming out of the cop's yeah. So by the time this is all said and done, it ends up being about a million and a half dollars. The city just drops on this, like, idiot case yeah. for this woman who, like, best case scenario, isn't going to work for Seattle PD anymore. In her agreement, she said she won't be a cop anymore. I don't know how that's enforceable. Right. And that... But, you know, we gave her this huge payday and all the shit was kind of written off or whatever. Yeah. And that was... That was our beautiful police review process yeah now that legislation we passed last year would have actually resolved this problem right the 180 day clock begins when the opa starts the investigation if the opa takes a break and stops looking at your case the clock stops right so you know if they have to do some you know something else clock stops and it waits it's also now just a metric of like we want to resolve things in 180 days but we don't have Uh to right Uh so they can continue working on it oh that's gone so we're going to be right back to, and the reason why this is a big deal is this, what's hap, what happened in the case of Cynthia Whitletch is very typical. Sure. Yeah. Which is you as a citizen have something bad happen to you. You, not being somebody who studies police or anything, mm-hmm. goes to the police department and complains. They say, oh, wonderful, cool. Maybe they take some notes. They throw it immediately in the trash. Yeah. Not one of them ever reports it, right? right. Like, I mean, that's, yeah. every, every review of every police department says, they never report any any, any yeah. complaints, right? There's generally at this point in most major cities some sort of civilian review board that you can take your complaint to. Uh, it will not be publicized to right. you. Nobody will yeah. tell you about uh-huh. it or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, your clock for like trying to get any sort of you know uh, response to this from the city is moving. And that's why police never get punished for anything. I mean, in the long run, that's why they don't get punished for anything. And the spot contract takes us back to that that model. Which, wow. by the way, police are very aware that this is a get-out-of-jail-free card, right? Like, I'm they're sure, very yeah. aware that, like, this is their ace in the in yeah. the pocket. Spog, when they... Uh, when Spog appeals a, you know, ruling, you know, usually it's some sort of suspension or something like that. When they appeal that ruling to get the back pay, this is the card they go to the most. This is the majority of their sort of argument will be, well, you didn't follow the technical procedure and you missed the deadline, which you will miss almost all the time sure, because yeah. nobody's going to help you. Days, yeah. I mean. yeah. And everybody's going to keep it secret from you and yeah. good luck. Yeah. You know, which I mean, there was community leaders who were helping out William Wingate who presumably are very knowledgeable about right, a lot right. of city process who had no idea that yeah. this yeah. existed. Yeah. You know, so, and this, so this contract passed the council by eight to one, eight to one. Mm-hmm. go cool. uh, take a wild guess who actually voted against it um and uh, uh and and so which is awesome great um everyone everyone's on board with that um mm-hmm. Durkin's cool with it, obviously. Oh, um, yeah. Best and Durkin were crowing the pay increase. Uh, and, and Durkin should be noted, just as a quick like flashback, too. Uh, when Mike McGann was ousted, Ed Murray came in, and he immediately stopped the, the reform process with Seattle PD. Durkin was the U.S. District Attorney mm-hmm. overseeing this process. Yeah. And there was various times where city council got very upset with 
uh, Ed Murray about what was happening, and Durkin always intervened to cover for him, and basically would write letters to the council about, no, he's doing great, you know, actually Mike McGinn's an asshole, and like, and would like speak <laughs> yeah. to the media and would cover uh-huh. for him. So Durkin's been the point man in stopping Seattle police reform from the beginning, wow. uh, which is cool. Just despite be, yeah, just being like the More federal overseer, <laughs> and the, yeah. Uh, the consent, to st- yeah, yeah. consent decree. Well, okay, so then it has to be reviewed by this judge, but mm-hmm. uh, he called bullshit today on some on this one firing, right? Yeah, so there was a, this happened in 2014, actually the month uh, before the William Wingate incident. But uh, a cop was responding to a domestic disturbance, and there was a woman who was, I believe, in a fight with her boyfriend or whatever, and I, I assume alcohol was involved yeah, or whatever, yeah, right? And, yeah. and uh, the police officer apparently told them. I'm just, I gotta arrest one of you, any meeny miny mo, and took her, right? So already cool. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> and at, and of course she was upset. And as he would so he handcuffed her, hands behind her back, threw her in the back of his car, and as and as he threw her in, she apparently kicked at him. Now there's a lot of debate yeah. about whether she actually hit him or whatever. I actually don't think it matters one sure, way or the other. Yeah. Uh, and his response to that was he leaned over and punched her so fucking hard in the face, he broke her eye socket. Um, then shut the door and just went about his day and presumably went home and thought he was a great guy, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> ultimately, the city, you know, so she ended up filing against the city. She ended up getting about $195,000. Again, this is the theme, is that we're gonna we're paying a lot of money yeah. for this stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, he, uh, you know, Spog appealed on his behalf, this time uh, essentially, like, on a self-defense kind of, like, <laughs> platform. Yeah. And uh, the review board was like, yeah, cool. <laughs> you know, and yeah. and again, they waited long enough. I mean, this is 2014, so they waited quite a while. I mean, this yeah. ruling came out a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, they waited quite a while to, like, finally just go ahead and give him his back pay and reinstate him. They changed it from him being fired to a, I believe, 15-day suspension, which they were like, is a pretty hefty Come on, guys. That's a pretty big punishment. Yeah. But, I mean, to review, he had a woman handcuffed in the back of his squad car, yeah. and his response and wasn't to shut the door right. or anything yeah. like that. It was yeah. to break her eye socket. Yeah. And the response from the review board was, well, you know, maybe his behavior was inadvisable, but it wasn't, like, not understandable or something you know, like that, right? So they had this great quote where it's like... <laughs> in what context, like, cool. I would ask, you know? Yeah, in the context of where we believe that police are, like, in great danger and need to yeah. be violent, yeah. you know, and animals. And need to let off some steam know? sometime. Yeah, like, exactly, right? You know? <laughs> you know? Uh, and so that was the thing that the judge... I think, like, most people who looked at it was like, holy shit, this is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> like, no. Yeah. Come okay. on, guys. you got to have some standards. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm going to offer just a cynical uh, political analysis of this here and say that this is no, like, shit happens like this. There must be mm-hmm. other cases that sure. are also whack. Sure. Um, no coincidence that the... Uh, contract was just controversially passed and that it's landed on this same judge's desk now and he's got Mm -hmm. some time to ponder over this and decide whether or not to okay it and to give himself personally and that part of the process a little political cover Mm. he flipped through some pages of some whack-ass decisions (laughs) that he's supposed to okay and go oh this one really sucks i will come out you know, make a stink, look cool on this, we'll fire that cop, <coughs> and 
then I'll sign that contract. When the review board, which was a five-person review board that was looking at the at this officer's case, they seemed to be like very on the fence about like the, you know what to do. Uh, but then when the spog contract passed, I think they saw the writing on the wall that's like full board. The police are cool yeah. again, and uh, they that's where they okayed it. Yeah. Um, in the case of like you know, maybe a conspiracy theory of the judge's part. Who knows if he's even that smart. I, I, the reality is, is I think it, it's just much to do about nothing. Uh, the the police contract, I went from like 100% sure the judge was going to sign off on it to like 80% sure. But even if he doesn't, I mean, Spog, just by refusing to sign a contract with the city, yeah. had forced the city to use their old contract for four years. Like, yeah. And the reality, too, is the crazy thing about creating a armed force of psychopaths in your city is if you tell them no, you're not really 100% sure what they're going to yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so Mayor Dinkin, David Dinkins in New York figured this out in the 90s when, uh, you know, he supported what was called the Mullen Commission, which is an investigation into how shitty the NYPD is. And if mm-hmm. you ever want to learn about police, read that shit. But, uh, but, you know, he, you know, supported the Mullen Commission, and I think he said that, like, LAPD might have been wrong in the Rodney King situation. Some, <laughs> some like, dumb, like, tournament <laughs> thing, right? Yeah. And... NYPD literally rioted at City Hall. Like, they all showed up, apparently by all accounts of reporters there from the New York Times to, like, the Village Voice, fucking hammered, were, like, waving guns in the air, and were shouting, uh, yeah, Mayor Dinkins was a black mayor, and were shouting very interesting racial slurs at the mayor and what they were going to do to him, right? Yeah. And... Exercising their democratic right to gather peaceably in protest. And, you know, Mayor Dinkins' response to this, like, quite frankly terrifying spectacle was to just stop performing <laughs> the NYPD. Wow. So, I mean, w- there have been times in American history where police have, like, you know, just, like, killed political officials they didn't like, I mean, primarily in the South in the period of Jim Crow. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it hasn't happened, like, super recently, but that's mainly because they've always gotten everything they've wanted. Right. Yeah. It's... They kind of already won that battle. <laughs> yeah, and, and the thing is, if you came in, say we elected, uh, you know, our greatest, you know dream of a mayor and a city council so it's you know we got uh ed murray back in the mayor's office right we got jeff on the city council jeff bezos on the city council (laughs) dream team just dream team the Uh entire uh what they called the innovation battalion or whatever yeah Yeah, we got the innovation battalion filling out the rest of the city council Uh we don't know any of their names it's fine like who cares yeah Dream team, best possible scenario, and they come down hard on Seattle PD, and they're like, you guys are fucked. The things you're doing are shitty. The things you say suck. Like, yeah. we're, you know, we're getting rid of half of you, and, you know, all this kind of stuff. I mean, literally, what's to stop them from, like, just fucking shooting the mayor, right? Yeah. They did it in San Francisco. It's not, it's not like it's never happened, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's a, it's an open question that I think we never ask ourselves because the answer is terrifying, right? That like, terrifying. what if you tell the police to stop and they don't? Do we, li- yeah, I mean, yeah, that's yeah chilling. we have, truly mm-hmm. chilling. That's really fucking terrifying. Yeah. yeah. Um. So we've recorded this podcast. Let's now think about whether we want to actually release it <laughs> into, the, into the universe. Because uh, <laughs> uh, that's yeah, it is terrifying. Um. Because you have this yeah, you have an a fascist like military force. Who has every economic incentive that seems, not to listen to you? And it seems to yeah. actually only be unlike in a, like, openly fascist system, it seems to be only loyal, really, to itself. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, it's not following yeah. any kind of leader. They're not, like, 
saluting any um yeah. any furor. Well, know, and any, and we've like put no this dangerous ideology, like anti-state mm-hmm. ideology. Yeah. And I will tell you, like one of the things that first got me thinking about this is when Egyptians went to Tahrir Square, and it was very clear that Mubarak was going to that was done. Right, yeah, yeah. Mubarak sends an order down to the military and tells them, like, shoot the people in the square. And the military doesn't, right? Yeah. This, this is the moment that you know Mubarak is done. Yeah. You know who did go kill the people in the square? The, the fucking cops. cops. Yeah. The cops kept going. Like, they just were like, even when it was obvious to everybody that Mubarak was done, the police like, nah, dude, we're still gonna, like, shoot some motherfuckers, we're gonna take people back and torture them, like, all this shit. They kept going. Well, that says like, it right there. Yeah. That it was, you know... Die, like zoom out of that and go well then it wasn't their like loyalty to Mubarak mm-hmm. that it was their loyalty only to themselves yeah. the police mm-hmm. and their attitude mm-hmm. about the world and what fun they wanted to have like sure. that was just a that was like a Disneyland for them on their concept of like urban order and yeah. things like that right you yeah. know uh, this was disorder people were not at work they were in the street and that's bad right so you have and, to kill them and torture them Sure, until they get back at, yeah. back into doing things. And, right. you know, and I mean, that mindset's absolutely rife. Again, like one of the things that was underreported was in the Abu Ghraib prison scandal mm. that uh, the people in the pictures, the one woman, the two guys that were shown in all the great England, pictures, right? I can't remember their names are anymore, yeah. but uh, either all of them or two of them were prison guards in the United yeah. States, yeah. right? So, like, yeah. for them, of course they didn't think they're doing anything, right? They probably had done many of the same things uh-huh. in the United oh, States, yeah. right? Yeah. You know? So, you know, like, <laughs> they're just, I, you know, people, I remember when Occupy Wall Street happened here, and people in Westlake would be like, cops are workers too. And it was like, fuck they're not, dude. Like, <laughs> like I, you are not going to convince these people of anything, and, uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, cops are bad. Yeah. 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 No such thing as a good cop. Yeah. Well, we we did earlier endorse that Oakland or no, the Oakland <laughs> L.A. cop. Uh, we did endorse his manifesto, which having read it, I, we might want to take some parts back. Maybe, yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah. A, maybe a, a, a mile, an, an odd phrase here and there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I'll come out in favor of uh, abolishing policing in America. I'm uh, very comfortable with that. Uh, yeah, this has been a wild ride. Um, Brian Platt, thank you for coming on Seattle Sucks. Thanks for coming downtown to the boat, the high seas, pirate radio out here. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm, I hope the music and the girls dancing on top of the boat <laughs> did not affect the podcast. In no, any we've way. got uh, Colin can. Colin's yeah, got some tools some for edit. that in like we can edit the post. Yeah, it's, all, out. It's, <laughs> it's so loud in the cabin. So it's, it's amazing. It's a, it's a real technical feat yeah. that you can edit it out. <laughs> um, so yeah, thank you for coming. Uh, yeah, is there do you, any, wait? Is there anything else you want to play? You have yeah. any other pieces coming up soon that we should watch out for? Or uh, I'm probably gonna write something about. I, I've been kind of waiting to hear what the judge was gonna say. Yeah, okay. I mean, who knows what time it's gonna happen? But probably write something about the Seattle PD stuff and also uh, just a quick comment for anybody that wants to go look at this. I'm probably gonna write some of this some to, uh, soon too. Is police reform is so fucking impossible and convincing them not to kill people is so impossible that schools all over the country have started this new program where it's part of your, like your driver's ad or your civics class that you do this uh, like unit on how to behave around the police so they don't murder you. And it's this whole thing about like where your hands should be when you get pulled over. Like in the in 
when you read their like powerpoints and stuff it literally reads like trying to explain somebody how not to get attacked by a bear in the woods like <laughs> like keep in mind this is a irrational ferocious creature like you know do nothing to upset it right and it's and it's it's legitimately terrifying but it's also i mean it's deeply uh, i was gonna say embarrassing it is that it's depressing because it's it basically is. it says like there's nothing we can do like these guys are going to uh we just can't stop them from killing people, so we're going to have to. Well, our current, to live with it. our yeah. current politics are the neoliberal order we live under is incapable of even imagining change. Yeah, I think that's true. That's, so, that's, I think that's a well, very real representation of that. It's about yeah. mitigation for them. Yeah. That's it's all they can it, come up yeah. with, yeah. and so yeah. that's why. And I love saying this to my like old like Lib Dem friends: like abolish the police. Because mm-hmm. you have to start from the absolute most extreme position, mm-hmm. because the 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 like reformist attitude like just doesn't isn't going to get you anywhere. Yeah, gonna have to answer some questions about sure. what who's going to do the the a- some of the actually necessary work that for some reason we have these like thugs doing. <laughs> sure. Um, like and when then it, also when it, you know when a teen walks across your front lawn what are you gonna do (laughs) (laughs) who are you gonna call but like yeah i mean you know but who is gonna respond for like uh wellness checks and um who's gonna like go uh help some homeless people on the street sure probably shouldn't be cops because they're probably just gonna end up killing someone um but yeah we do need to do those things we need to change the whole nature of our society so Mm -hmm. it's like you have to think systematically and structurally to answer the question, how do you abolish policing? But it needs to fucking go. Yeah. 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 And and you gotta, you know, look, police haven't always existed. There's no, no reason to believe they will always exist. Uh, but liberals will defend them to the death, and that's that's the thing you should because remember. Because they happen to be present here at the end of history. Sure, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, from from having pushed the abolish ICE line for a long time, uh, I'm, very, I'm very happy to have gone from being ignored to now being shouted at by people about how it's a hollowed institution that can never be changed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, from ten years ago, we, we absolutely cannot change in any way. So. Yeah, it's uh, here. It, whatever is now is, is the end of history. Mm-hmm. Um... So, yeah. Um, thank you again. Yeah, thank you so much. Hey, thanks, guys. Hit up Brian. Check him out. Um, we'll post the link to his article, and you can find more articles by him at Jacobin from there. He's uh, at abolish underscore ice on I'm at, Twitter. I'm at, I'm at the worst handle in the world. At, oh, no, that's at right. At Brian underscore no name. That's right. That's or right, you yeah. can search Abolish Ice. Or, better yet, don't look at anything on Twitter ever. Yeah, <laughs> Not just my account. Yeah. All accounts on yes, Twitter. Best, best possible. It's no good. We're um, at Seattle Sucks Podcast. Seattle Sucks Pod. Seattle Sucks Twitter, Pod. I can't yeah. get any of them right. Yeah, Whatever. Mm-hmm. Nobody um, should be on Twitter. And, um... I kind of yeah, uh, you can find this podcast on any place where podcasts live. But you're already listening to it, so give us yeah. money on Patreon. We know you're not going to, but hey, this is episode 21. This podcast yeah, is drink. old enough to drink, and um, yeah, thanks everybody. Yeah. Thanks to Lasko, we love our cops a lot.